I will be reading from the complete Jewish Bible, Isaiah chapter 55. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. You without money, come, buy, eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money. It's free. Why spend money for what isn't food? Your wages for what doesn't satisfy. Listen carefully to me and you will eat well. You will enjoy the fat of the land. Open your ears and come to me. Listen well and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The grace I assured David, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader, a lawgiver for the peoples. You will summon a nation you do not know. And a nation that doesn't know you will run to you for the sake of Adonai your God, the Holy One of Israel, who will glorify you. Seek Adonai while he is available. Call on him while he is still nearby. Let the wicked people abandon his way and the evil person his thoughts. Let him return to Adonai and he will have mercy on them. Let him return to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, says Adonai. As the high as the sky is above the earth, are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just as rain and snow fall from the sky, and do not return there, but water the earth, causing it to bud and produce, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me unfulfilled, but it will accomplish what I intend and cause to succeed what I send it to do. Yes, you will go out with joy. You will be led forth in peace. As you come, the mountains and the hills will burst into song, and all the trees in the countryside will clap their hand. Cypresses will grow in place of thorns. Myrtles will grow instead of briars. This will bring fame to Adonai as an eternal, imperishable sign. Blessed be the word of Adonai. Uh, in a moment, I want to pray that the Lord will give us a special a special pass. You know what I'm saying? I, I, again, I'm using uh, World War II uh, imagery. Um, you know, sometimes you pass over something and you see it very briefly, and you realize, you know, there's so much I missed here. I want to come over for a second pass. So that's what I want to do today. Um, this uh, passage is especially um, familiar to me because when Joe and I were courting, uh, people would razz me by saying, you shall go out with joy. All right, let's pray. 
Lord, um, we thank you for this marvelous portion of your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things in it that we have heard before. And so we pray, Lord God, for fresh eyes, uh, for the ability to see things that perhaps we haven't seen before. And um, so we pray, Lord, for that special discernment we all need so that we can take your word and um, apply it and grow by it and become the mature men and women of God and servants of yours that you have for us to become. And uh, we ask this, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Ken, we have just a bit more. Um, part of the dangers of uh, advancing age is that you tend to focus on things in the past. And um, as I was preparing, my thoughts went to my freshman year in college. I won't tell you how many years that was. Um, but um, there was a fellow who had one of these muscle cars, you know, was a Mercury, Mercury Jaguar. And um, I had never driven a stick shift. And uh, this fellow says, oh, you know, you just put in the clutch and shift and uh, give gas and let up the clutch and no sweat and <laughs> here are the keys and, uh, and go to town. Uh, fortunately, the town was not New York City. Uh, it was Shawnee, Oklahoma. Um, but nonetheless, you can imagine, uh, it was one of these <laughs> coughing, gagging, choking, grinding gears. And uh, for me, it was always a, uh, throughout the years, has been a metaphor, a picture uh, of what happens when we try to make things happen and force things and when God is basically out of the picture. And uh, what I've often found is that symbolically we tend to grind gears uh, when God is not engaged. Uh, because we, uh, we try to make things happen. And sometimes without a whole lot of wisdom, without a whole lot of clue. And uh, this week I was talking to one of our gals who was in the middle of a difficult circumstance. And uh, what she was saying is, I've got to get my arms around this. I have to figure out what's going on. Uh, because obviously she was in a situation where there was a lot of grinding of the gears, you know, things just weren't working right. And I finally said to her, you know, you need to quit. You need to drop it. Uh, instead of trying to figure things out, maybe you need to back up and um, recognize what the Word of God is saying here. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are my 
so greater are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And at least intellectually, at least up here in the brain somewhere, we understand that. We know that our brain is yay big, and God's brain is uh, several orders of magnitude bigger than that. Uh, but when it comes to life, to the practicalities of life, what do we do? Do we stop back and say, okay, God, I have no clue. Uh, you, have you evidently know all there is to know, and you have a plan. And maybe, just maybe, I need to stop and listen to you and hear what you have to say. Do you realize often how long it takes us before we get there? How often we bang our head against the wall and finally say, oh, you know, maybe it's like the, the children of Israel during the time of the judges, um, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Girgashites, and all the other ites come and oppress them. And then after 40 years, they wake up and remember that God is, that they have a God and they say, Lord, would you please help us out here? And he does. He sends someone to deliver them a judge. And it's so much like human nature, so much like the way we are, that so much of our approach is based on self-effort. You say, nah, I'm, I'm always one who listens to the Lord at any given time. That's my go-to position, always right. Part of the picture, folks, is what we hear from our culture is self-help, self-effort. Uh, the best, the, the ten best ways to achieve um, excellence in business. Um, to be successful. And you know what? Unfortunately, that has carried over into the body of Messiah, into the believing community, that you likewise have five best steps to being an incredible intercessor and ten best steps to being God's servant, a superior servant. And, and at least for me, you know what that conveys? It conveys a basic sense of works righteousness. Which means, if it's going to happen, I'm the one who has to make it happen. Because if I don't make it happen, nothing will happen since God is in control of the world in a general sense, but he's really not engaged with, with me here today. So, we then look for all kinds of ways to try and figure things out. The last Shabbat, Rabbi David talked about how that we sometimes take a popsicle stick and use it to try and figure out the combination of, of a bank vault. And we try and try and try and try, then eventually we get the fact that, you know, maybe that is not going to work. So why do we not do that? Why do we work and huff and puff and then hopefully at some point stop and say, God, I need your help. Why do we not do that? Well, I think a basic reason 
is that it's counterintuitive. In other words, it doesn't work with our logic. Our logic says there is a problem, we fix it. I fix it. Especially true of the American male psyche, although not only the male psyche. Um, and so what we have here with this very familiar passage, think about it, it really doesn't make sense. It does, really doesn't fit into our logic. Um, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and you who have no money, come buy, eat, come buy, wine and milk without money, without cost. That doesn't fit, does it? You know, we think about getting nice water, so we think what came to mind was Fiji water. And uh, went to the store and paid exorbitant price to get that. And then realized, you know, that that, that is such a, a picture, the polar opposite of what God calls on us to do. And by the way, the language here is very poetic. It's very strong. Um, it is not given as... On a good day, if you really are up to it, would you please consider coming to the water and drinking from what God gives you? It's a series of commands. Not suggestions, but commands. And they're very strong commands. In fact, you have them repeated. Which always tells you that there is a sense of urgency when you have repetition uh, in commands. Come the water. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. It's designed to get our attention. Why? Because we're typically not interested in listening. We have our ideas, we have our thoughts, our strategy. And so when God speaks to us, sometimes he has to get our attention and this is one of the ways he does is he speaks loudly I mean at, at least at, at this point in my life I'm at a point where I'm eager to be in a place where I can shut up long enough and hear the voice of God speak to me quietly so he doesn't have to yell it's been said that in good times God speaks to us in a whisper and in bad times God speaks to us in a shout. What does that mean? It means that when we go through tough times God really has our attention, right? No. Yeah. We're desperate. We're desperate for answers so we come to God and say, Lord, would you please talk to me? I'm actually quiet for once and I'm willing to listen. And this is the continuation of what we see here in, in verse 2. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good so that your soul will delight in riches of fear. Again, repetition of a command, um, meaning listen and listen well. Don't just listen with half an ear and the other, uh, the other ear 
paying attention to, to what's on Facebook or what music you're listening to. I see that a lot with my grandson. You know, we, we read with him and then sometimes he would sit there and fiddle with, with things and ever so often have to stop and say, okay, did you hear? Uh, huh? Listen, listen with intent. And by the way, remember that the Hebrew verb shema means to listen with intent to obey. What does that mean? It means, folks, that if we want to hear from God, we better have in mind that we're going to take what he's going to say to us and follow. Because God really is not interested in talking to us if we're going to take what he says and say, eh, not bad, I'll, I'll think about it. If it is the Almighty speaking, then you know that the picture that he requires from us, the, the expectation he has from us, rather, is that we would take what he says and then we would follow. Now, what's odd here in this passage also is that you don't have a ton of other commandments like we have in a Torah portion that, that we've been reading over the last several weeks where we have, this is what I expect you to do, this is how you are to bring the, the offerings, etc., etc. We don't have that here. W what is odd here is that the command is basically an invitation from God to come and enjoy. Listen, listen well and eat what is good that your soul would delight in riches affair. A command from God to enjoy? Yeah. It doesn't make sense because our way of life is huffing and puffing and being squeezed and sometimes feeling like we have life squeezed out of us. And Isaiah describes it as laboring for what does not satisfy. You know, you know what he's talking about? You work hard, you work hard, and at the end of the day, you don't feel like you really accomplished a whole lot. You know what I'm talking about? And so God wants to, God is inviting us to come and enjoy what he has prepared. And we, of course, don't want that. We want to enjoy what we have prepared. And so part of what happens is God has a strategy to deal with that. Part of the strategy is either relatively passive in a sense of, okay, you want to go your way? Go your way. Don't expect me to sprinkle pixie dust on it. Um, see what happens. And the prophet Haggai, such strong stuff, um, he puts it this way. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, listen to this, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
You know what that feels like? You earn a salary and you put it in, in your purse, in your pocket, and sh- uh, within a short span of time you say, hmm, where did that go? So can we expect anything else if God is essentially shut out of the process of our life? In other words, think about it. If God were taken out of the picture of your daily life, would your days look any different? I would say much of the time they wouldn't because we really don't operate as if we really need God or want God. I mean, we say we do, but practically we we don't. So can we expect God's hand of blessing when he is essentially shut out and our lives are basically self-centered? You know, me and what I want to do and how I want to get it done, etc., etc., And then sometimes the Lord works with us and says, okay, I've let you go your way. Now I need to use more persuasive approach. And also in Isaiah earlier, he says, woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. And then also in Haggai, He's, uh, Haggai chapter 1 verse 9 you expected much but you see it turned out to be little why what you brought home I blew away so that is life the way we often live it and what, what we are challenged with in this passage and the rest of scripture is with a simple recipe that says, not Chaim's five steps here, what, what the Lord says simply is, turn your ear and listen and come so that your soul may live. In other words, I have blessing for you. It doesn't say, I expect that you will fix the problem that you will go through painful process of self-examination and self-reformation. Rather, the Lord is saying, turn to me. Turn to me. Turn to me. Whether you've got things under control or not is really besides the point. In fact, the times when you feel that you absolutely do not have things under control is the time you really want to turn to God. Because the Lord says here, turn to me and listen, and your soul will live. In other words, when you turn to the Lord, he is eager to pour his life into you. And it is so difficult for us to do that because we're consumed with us. I'm consumed with me. Oh, you know, I screwed up. I really should have done that. I could have said this, but I didn't, and that was stupid, and people misunderstood me, and they would get offended, and uh, you get you get where I'm going with that. 
So we play and replay the tapes over and over and over and over again some more. And at some point we get the fact that this is not about us, it's about the Lord. And this is what, uh, what Isaiah challenges the people. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. This is 55.6. He doesn't say, go through uh, spiritual, severe spiritual discipline. Fasting and praying to purge stuff out of your soul. Turn to the Lord. Seek the Lord. What does it mean to seek the Lord while he may be found? Well, A, he's always here. Um, B, he is always interested. But there are special times, there are special seasons in our life when we recognize who we are and then we realize who God is and we somehow reach out to the Lord knowing that somehow he's reached out to us already. And there's that connection. And we somehow experience the smile of God, not because we did X, Y, Z and and did great and wonderful and glorious things and uh, a thousand units of productivity for the kingdom of God. But we have the Lord's smile because we turn to him and are willing to listen to him. And are willing to obey as he instructs us. But it's first of all the personal connection where where God seeks us out and we have to learn to seek him out. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon You know, we have such a, an awful perspective of who God is. We believe basic lies about who the Lord is. That unless we really work hard and unless we uh, purge out sin in our life, that unless we do all these things, He will have nothing to do with us. Well, by that token, He will never have anything to do with us, period. This is something that the Word of God, beginning with the Torah, you know, that, that, that nasty book of rules and regulations that everybody uh, views. The Torah is a guide for living. And Deuteronomy says, but if you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find Him. It simply is a hunger and a desire for us To be connected, to be in God's presence, to seek Him, to know Him. <coughs> then he goes on, Isaiah goes on to speak about covenant. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful. This is verse, I'm going back to verse 3. My faithful love promised to David. And the same in verse 4 and 5. Kind of stuck between a couple of sections that we really like 
what's, what's up with covenants here? Well, think about it. How does God relate to us? God relates to us because there's a covenant that always was the case, always will be the case. And so we know that God is faithful to keep his covenant promises. He did that to Israel. He does that with you and I. That's why this section about covenants is stuck in the middle here. To remind the people, people of Israel, to remind us that when we seek God, we have good reason, we have grounds for expectation that he will actually do what he says here. That when he invites us to enjoy, he is not going to invite us to enjoy and then give us a meal made of sawdust. You know, it is so hard for us to understand that God wants for us to enjoy His presence, to enjoy His reality, <coughs> that He has blessings in store for us. And sometimes the blessings come in ways that are disguised. In other words, sometimes God allows us to go through tough times and through the tough times we somehow experience the smile of God in the midst of the difficulty. Knowing that He is with us, He has a plan, He's working the plan and that what we're experiencing is not a waste. And part of what we see here, as we see in the rest of Scripture, is restoration, redemption, folks. You find the theme of redemption over and over and over and over and over again. Every one of the prophets, for instance, when they talk about God's judgment, you guys blew it, you're, you're full of sin, you, you, you're full of rebellion, and you either turn or, or God is going to put you in a griddle, and turn up the heat, um, and do all kinds of things to you to get your attention, even there you have the promise of restoration and redemption. And that's what we have here. You will go out with joy and be let forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst forth in song before you. Then verse 13, I love that one. It's on my desk. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Do you ever feel like life is full of thorns? You know, that where you, where you turn, you, you get poked by, by thorns? Sometimes God allows us to go through those periods but the promise of redemption, the promise of restoration is that God is committed, again committed, because he's a covenant-keeping God. He is committed then to somehow replacing the thorns with, with trees that give us shade and trees that are productive. <coughs> 
And that's our expectation, folks. Even when we go through tough times, that was, I felt led to share that with James when he was in the hospital this week. And by the way, please pray for James Grant, fellow elder um, who has just gone through the mill this week. Um, through the tough times, God has the promise of restoration. And by the way, we saw that in the book of Ruth. Those of you who were in, in the Bible study this week, we had a wild and rowdy time in the book of Ruth. It was fun. Um, but one of the things that we saw was at the beginning of the book, Naomi, whose name means pleasant, says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, bitter. Because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. The Almighty has made me my life very bitter. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Whoa. Five statements that Naomi makes within a couple of chapters. Well, you can understand. She, she has... She leaves her hometown because of famine. She comes to a strange land, the land of their enemies, the pagan country of Moab. She loses her husband, loses her two sons, and then comes back to her hometown. Her perspective is, God has personally rolled up his sleeves and said, I have nothing better to do than to punish this woman. You ever feel that way? We sometimes do. I mean, that's reality. I mean, it's, the truth is it's a lie because the Lord, especially as we are committed to following Him, we know that He is not going to roll up our sleeves and get to work to beat us up. That's what He does with those who are absolutely rebellious with whom He has worked and worked and worked and worked. But for us who have a heart for God, His desire is to bless us even through the difficult times. So we see that at the end of, of the book of Ruth. Naomi gets it. She says, The Lord has not stopped showing His kindness to the living and to the dead. She gets that. And the story of Ruth, which is as you know, read during this time of year, during Shavuot, is such a wonderful template, such a wonderful model for what God is doing, what God was doing then, what God is doing today. How He wants to use different people to bless each other, to use the Gentiles to bless the Jews, and to, bless, to use the Jews to bless the Gentiles. Those of us who are Jewish in this room, I would wager that every single one of us is coming to the kingdom of God through the influence of a Gentile brother or Gentile sister. And so in turn, we also want to bless. Just like Naomi, we want to bless Ruth. 
and vice versa. This is part of God's magnificent plan is to take people from diverse background and bring us together so that we experience God's blessing together. That's what we find, by the way, at the end when everything is said and done, the people of God are one. And they really get it at that point. We see that John in the book of Revelation quotes here the prophet Isaiah almost word for word. And we sometimes sing this song, the spirit and the bride say come. Let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Did you see the connection between this and between Isaiah chapter 55? Maybe I should say, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Not, not very surprising because John is a Jew. And... By some estimates, there's somewhere about 500 or more references to the Tanakh, to the Old Testament, the book of Revelation. Did you know that? Not a great shock. That's the expectation that, that God has for us. And there are times when we approach reality, uh, when we see reality in our life and we're tired, we work hard, we come discouraged because what we face sometimes feels like mountains that are immovable. Things that don't seem to change. And our inclination is to say they will never change. And that's true if the only one who is on the scene, the only factor on the scene is us. But if we understand redemption, if we understand the power of God at work, the power of the Spirit of God at work, then despite circumstances, we hear the Word of God as he calls us to come and enjoy what he's prepared for us and drink fully from the life he gives us. Again, it doesn't change circumstances in a flash. What it does is it changes us. It changes us and frees us from the lie that we often buy into that says I have to work extra hard I have to do this this many units of spiritual or other kinds of work in order to get something done remember what the word of God tells us here his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Again, the invitation is come and enjoy 
what I've prepared for you. That's what the Lord is saying. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us for our foolishness, our foolish pride. Lord, when we consider that life is about us, that we have the capability to bring things into compliance with our will, that we ignore who you are and your marvelous grace that you pour out on us, Lord. When you invite us to enjoy and drink from the water that you give us freely, Lord, we pray, especially for anyone here who is between a rock and a hard place and who sees no hope, and for the rest of us, Lord, who struggle in our own arenas and are convinced or question, Lord, whether you are engaged and able, and we thank you, Lord, that you are indeed able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even imagine. We pray, Lord God, for the eyes of faith for each of us to see you at work in our life, to give you the honor and the glory, and to follow in the paths that you have prepared for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.